Will the Lions get demolished in New Zealand? How do the Kiwis rate Warren Gatlin's style of rugby? What makes Rhys Ruddock a good choice for Ireland captain? And did the IRFU handle Tyg McElroy properly? It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Two and Ringrose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score. I know what website you use most often, but <laughs> it's a sister of uh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next year. He's calling. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. I say YouTube is probably YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Show. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have a lot to cover today, including the Lions, New Zealand's preparation to face them, Scarlet's playing style and Irish player retention. Kevin McLaughlin's in studio and we're joined by Gregor Paul later on from the New Zealand Herald. They're on hand to discuss all of that. And later on, Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes will give you odds for the Lions tour. Now, it's finally here. After months of talk and previews, the Lions get underway this Saturday against the Provincial Barbarians. Every preview I've read seems to say the Lions will be destroyed. Kev, how are you feeling? I'm worried. Yeah. Um, no, I think uh, this weekend will go okay. They put out a pretty strong team. Uh, I think it's the f- first game and obviously the only game I would imagine that will go pretty comfortably the Lions' way. I think from there on it gets extremely challenging. Let, let me run through the schedule yeah. just in case people have kind of forgotten or, or don't know. So this weekend, uh, June 3rd, New Zealand Barbarians, uh, June 7th, so midweek game against the Blues, uh, 10th against the Crusaders. 13th, the Highlanders. The 17th, now we're going in three or four day steps here. The Merry All Blacks, 20th, the Chiefs. 24th, first test against New Zealand and then a nice little trip to play the Hurricanes <laughs> midweek. And then second test and third test on July 4th and the 8th. That is an unbelievable schedule. It's insane. I actually, have, this is the first time I've read through the schedule properly in three and four day breaks. I've just been begin thinking about the impact of that, not just in terms of the fatigue and the pressure it's going to put on the players, but also just the impact that has on training. Yeah. So there's obviously a fair bit of travel involved as well. Um, and they've got 41 players on tour and they, you know, the best way to train is 15 on 15. But because they're playing two games a week, they're not going to be able to do that. They're basically going to have to split into two two squads or two 15s um, and get, get maybe one day's training together each week and even having the Hurricanes game breaking up the two uh, first tests is going to make that week logistically diff- difficult from a training point of view and from a player's point of view they're just going to have to be so tight so switched on and they're going to be have to be able to work off a limited amount of hours on the training field and just hope and pray that they gel quickly and, and make it happen because this tour is a danger to become um, uh, uh, one that's not going very well very quickly Let's bring in um, let's bring in a guest here uh, Gregor Paul, rugby writer with the New Zealand Herald How are you? Very well, thanks Now, um, so Kev's saying that this, this, her- this, this tour is a bit of an epic but I did note uh, something you wrote this week saying that the tour is from the older generation now they were tours you know 20 odd games four tests the guys these days they don't they don't know how good they have it do they? <laughs> they're all soft now <laughs> yeah oh look different, different eras shouldn't, shouldn't really contrast and compare because I, I wouldn't really know what the schedule looked like uh, pre-Alliance tour back in the day but 
the the, the modern player and certainly the the Lions have probably played an enormous amount of rugby each of them all of them even the guys who've been injured have probably all piled through I don't know 35 40 games this year already before they even get here so while the tour itself might be greatly decreased in terms of scale from the old days the actual annual calendar is I mean it's kind of ridiculous you'd have to be a wee bit worried for how much uh, how much expectation is being put on these guys and 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 your man there, Kevin, is right to be worried about about what 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 lies ahead. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that leads into asking, well, worry here. Does that equate to you know a, a nice level of confidence in New Zealand? Well, uh, you never know with the Lions because the the, 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 the what, what what you do know is they put forty one really good players on the plane who've arrived here. There's no doubt about that. The quality of individual that they've brought. Which certainly, to and I don't follow the game over there as closely as you guys do, but you certainly look at the 41 that have come, and would say they're a stronger squad than the than the guys that came here in 05. There's no quibbles with the with who they've brought, but the difference this time round is that I mean they they stepped off a plane here in Auckland, um, you know Wednesday lunchtime, got to their hotel about four o'clock in the afternoon. And they're due to play, what, what is it, three days after that. And once they play game one, they're, they're into a pattern there where, you, where you're right. They're not really going to be able to train a great deal to fix and change what they discover on game day. So they're, they're going to be very limited in how much um, repair work they can do and how much establishment work they can do in between times. And that, that's where it's going to get pretty tricky for them because the games are going to be upon them before they know it and you know they get one day training one day rest game one day training one you know one day rest game and that's how the pattern's going to be all the way up to playing the All Blacks and I don't think there's any issue that the 41 that they've brought they've got the, the capability of picking 23 out of that who would be good enough to I don't know if they'd be good enough to win the series but they'd certainly be good enough to compete hard and, and get very close to the All Blacks and maybe win one test but given the way they're going to have to, to put it all together. That, that's the tricky part for them. Steve Hansen has mentioned that he reckons that the current New Zealand side are better than that side in 2005. And of course, that 05 side was fantastic and played some 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 just phenomenal rugby, like Dan Carter is the one that, that springs to mind, at the peak of his powers. Um, would you agree with that? I mean, is this 2017 version better than that side of 12 years ago? Oh, it, it's always hard to... To compare, but you know, you, you, I mean, Daniel Carter came of age in that tour. That's where he really showed the world what he was all about. But unbelievably, the Lions are going to luck out and they're going to arrive, and there's a fellow called Bowden Barrett, who is a different type of number ten to Daniel, but in every way he he is as equally influential. Uh, he he is a phenomenon. He is already World Player of the Year at whatever he is, twenty four, twenty five. He was sensationally good last year, and he's and he's and he's moved on again in the in the first uh, four or five months of this year. He so he he is a particularly special talent who is allowing, uh, combined with Aaron Smith at, at number nine, who again is another unusual player because he has a a rare ability to 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 play a fast wide game, and he's definitely the number one scrum half in the world. I know you guys in Ireland have, a num- have a, a, an exceptionally good player too, but I think Aaron's a wee bit different. Uh, and, and allows the All Blacks to play at this incredible pace. Um, they play 
this wide, high-tempo game where the ball just keeps moving, keeps moving, they offload out the tackle, and they're almost impossible to pin down. And that's probably where they're a wee bit different to the 05 team. They've they they they've got that whole offloading game going beautifully, but they've also got other ways that they can play the game. They've got a pack of forwards who I know everyone is talking about the the strength and the quality of the Lions forwards at set piece, and that's right, they are good there. But so are the All Blacks, and that's maybe that's maybe the big difference between the O five uh, All Blacks and the what are we now two thousand seventeen All Blacks that they that they have this combined threat of um, of a ball in hand game, but if it's pouring the rain or, or, or the game's quite difficult to, to break open, they've got a pack that will go toe to toe at set pace. They'll, they'll be pretty physical around the park and they'll hold their own. And that's probably where they're a wee bit different, wee bit better than they were 12 years ago. Yeah, I agree with you there, Gregor. Like uh, we played, I played against the Lions in two th- or sorry, against New Zealand in 2014 or 2013. And uh, the, the we basically went in saying we needed to dominate the set piece to have a chance of beating them, and they decimated our line out. Um, they the White Locks and sorry uh, Sam Whitelock and uh, Kieran Reed basically dominated the line out. We didn't win very much clean ball in the game, and because of that, um, they end up turning us over by a substantial amount. And I think uh, I think you're right. They they really have a team that can dominate in all areas now, which is adding to my worry. Um, I think it'd be interesting to flip it on its head though and begin like discussing what needs to happen for the Lions to win this series. Like there there's obviously a lot of things that need to happen. My my viewpoint, mm-hmm. um firstly I think the Lion or sorry, the, the, the Kiwis need to pick up a few injuries to keep players. They need to lose someone like Bowden Barrett, someone in that mold that is very influential on the team. The Lions need to remain very healthy. They've already lost Benny Villapola, which is a huge loss. They can't afford mm, any more yeah. key guys, say like Owen Farrell or someone like that to drop out would be a huge, a huge issue. Um, and then I think like the fact is no one is giving the Lions a chance. So that can have two two that can have two effects. It can be one that the Lions have no confidence going into the, any of the games and it materialises and they, and they get spanked in the tests. Or the other effect can be that it galvanises them and it makes them pull tighter together and say, this is us against the world, guys. We've got a gel so quickly. We're coming in under the radar. As much as the Lions come in under the radar, we're doing it. No one's giving us a sniff. So let's pull together and let's go and do something special together. Let, let's create an identity for the 2017 Lions and, and create something to latch on to. Um, and, and for me, like all those factors need to k- come together just to give them give them a chance of winning winning this test series. Um, do you have any any kind of thoughts on, on what needs to happen? Well, I, well, I think you're right, and I, and I think uh, Gatland he was in Chicago last year when 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 all those factors that you're talking about went went in Ireland's way. Yeah, the All Blacks came without Retallick and Whitelock, and then Luke Romano wasn't able to play either, so they were. They were hit with those injuries that you're talking about. Um, and then Ireland played exceptionally well. Everything Ireland needed to do that day, they got it done and they did it really, really well. But there was a key part in that game, really, where I think the All Blacks, um, they came back in that they'd been, whatever, a million points down and then they came roaring back and you thought, here, here, oh, if you're Irish, you'd be thinking, oh, here we go again, you know, we're going to lose this game in the last 10 minutes. But what, what struck me, and I think probably struck Gatlin too, was how composed... The, the Irish decision makers remained in those final 10 minutes and how cleverly they played they didn't they didn't climb up they didn't stop playing they they worked out that if they if they if they went back to what had worked for them in the first 65 minutes 
then they then they would get back into the game, and that showed a huge big um, for me, and I think for Gatlin too. That that was a bit of an eye opener for him because he suddenly saw that guys like Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton had this enormous self belief in what they could do against the world's best team, and that was a huge breakthrough moment to, for for Ireland to win that game. But I think that will be flowing through into the Lions thinking that the way that you've got to play the All Blacks is exactly what you said. They get all those little, little things right, do everything that you need to get right, right. But don't don't clam up in the final period. If, you, if you've got them under pressure, you know you, you've got to believe that you can beat them, and you've got to keep playing rugby. That's what that's what got Ireland over the line in the end was that that self belief and confidence. And you know that's that's what you'd love to see from a Lions team come into a test match the problem is how much self-confidence are they going to have by the time they get to the test series and, and you're right I mean are they going to be broken mentally by by you know having um, a particularly difficult run through the super rugby teams lose a handful of games and feel like you know the, the whole world's against them is that going, going to be the moment where they you know where they collapse or is that going to be the moment where they use it all and pile it all in and, and and use it as their driving force to take on the All Blacks. And I think you've you, you said it perfectly there. That that's probably what I think we're going to get to with them come, coming into the Test series. Is, is everyone in this together? Like in New Zealand, has everyone teamed up? All the franchises, the All Blacks, player release, throw everything into the mix, saying we are going to send the Lions home hurting here including the, those, those provincial games because obviously people need to remember I think on, on, on this side of the world that Super Rugby is still going on you know so the, yeah. the midweek games for everybody which means that there has to be a, a shift in priorities as well for the Super Rugby sides <laughs> to really target these games well, uh, yeah, you, yeah they are targeting the, the, the Lions but not with any kind of it's not like the old days you know where, the, where Canterbury would go out and you know Kick the crap out of the Lions just to soften them up ahead of ahead of the ahead of the test series. It's not it's not being driven by that mentality. It's being driven by the. It's a really special thing for for people to be able. I know it's a huge thing to put a Lions jersey on, but it's just as big a thing to be able to have your little moment coincide here in New Zealand and be able to put put your jersey on and play against the Lions. That's just as big. And, you know, talking to Sam Whitelock the other day, I mean, clearly he's going to be heavily involved in the Test Series and he will love um, being an all-black against the Lions. But what he also wants is to be wearing a Crusaders jersey against the Lions. That will mean as much to him as wearing the all-black jersey. Uh-oh. And that, and that really is what's... <laughs> yeah, well... The, 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 the Crusaders boys are seeing it as a four... as a four-test series. Yeah. You know that's the way that they're viewing it. They they want their game to be up there in terms of intensity as a as a as a test match, and they want to win that one and they want to play, and that and that's what's driving the whole thing. Everybody wants to play against the Lions. It means a lot. They only come every twelve years. You want to be on the park and you want to be wearing your provincial Super Rugby jersey or an All Black jersey. So so yeah, everyone is kind of ganging up on the Lions, but it's not it's not with a view to kind of um, send them home packing in that regard. It's you know, it's a big deal. You know, it's a great, it's a great honour, and it's a they're a great um, part of rugby, aren't they? I mean, we'll all, no matter what happens in this tour, we'll all rugby people will all love the fact that the Lions exist, and we all hope that they continue to keep touring forever. And and that's the thing that will be driving them. Yeah, it's a scary thought having uh, fully loaded uh, Super Rugby franchises as well as the Test games because when you look at like say the Blues have been traditionally the weaker New Zealand um, team over the over the past number of years, they're 
coming good mm. <laughs> and they're they pumped the cheetahs by about 50 points about three weeks ago they're scoring tries they're playing well then obviously the Crusaders are probably better than most test teams in the world the way they're playing at the moment mm. the same could be said for the Hurricanes the Highlanders are going well like it's actually just an incredibly scary prospect having fully loaded uh, super rugby franchises as a as a warm up for the test game <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be the biggest test of all time for, for a Lions squad I believe and uh, I actually think with 41 players they're a little bit light having surveyed the schedule properly <laughs> I actually, if you think about the, the player group size the menu, you do always have to go back to 2005 because there was a line um, Greg you wrote a nice line on this uh, this week pragmatic stoic sensible and genuine everything the Lions weren't in 2005 that's what that's what you see the Warren Gatland squad being over there in terms of uh, that's not on pitch that's the entire camp so there's no mm. Alistair Campbell's there's no this and that um, so we leave some of the songs that they're learning aside because you obviously <laughs> need to bring something to the party for the, the press corps Um but how is Warren Gatland's style of rugby seen over there? Because here there would be maybe a simplistic view that it is a simplistic style of play. Yeah, well, I think Steve Hansen is pretty keen to uh, give New Zealanders a view of how Warren's teams play. I and mean, as soon as the Lions team was picked, Hansen was, uh, you know, quite quick to point out, well, no real surprise, he's picked exactly what we thought he would pick. He, um, you know, He's picked big ball-carrying midfield with a view to crashing over the game line. He's picked a pack that will go pretty well at set-piece, and, he, and he's got a handful of um, options at 10, but they're all probably all defined by their ability to goal kick and to and to manage a game plan they're not Barrett type runners they're very good game managers so that's kind of the view with 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 Warren he's uh you know he takes the ball up the middle of the park he he won't play a lot of rugby or he won't have the Lions play a lot of rugby in their own half he he won't take a lot of risks but they will advance forward um, and, and when when there are opportunities to move the ball in low-risk areas of the field when they've done a lot of hard work, we'd expect the Lions will, will move the ball at that point. That's the expectation, that whether whatever we get, we'll just have to wait and see. But that is the view of, of Warren's rugby, very simple, very direct, very confrontational. Yeah, that's the way Wales play. And like to be honest, doing a, a review before a Wales game was always quite easy because they play the exact same way every time. Like Exactly like Gregor said, they're trying out mostly getting the likes of Jamie Roberts over the game line. Um, and then they kind of play a wide, wide game, get into George North's hands, etc. They're going to have to do something different to beat New Zealand because that might work against Ireland in a tight game, but it's not going to work against the All Blacks and the Lions test. So I really hope that Warren is going to surprise us all and, and pull a rabbit out of the hat here and, and do something different. Let's um, look at the team that's been selected for the first tour game against the Provincial Barbarians. Uh, five Irish names in the squad. Rory Best in Henderson, who apparently is also calling the line-out for this game. Uh, Jonathan Sexton is playing at 10 that's notable because he was playing in the late rounds of the, the playoffs uh, Tyke Furlong's on the bench Jared Payne's on the bench um, but apart from that you've very much got a core of the team who players who were not involved in either Premiership playoffs or Pro 12 playoffs you can see where they're doing this they're the players in camp early it makes a lot of sense um, the bookies have this at a good 30 point spread here they're not um, Gregor do we think that there's, this is going to be tight in any way I'd be pretty surprised and I think something might have gone horribly wrong for the Lions if it's if it's tight 
Now, the, guy, the guys that they're playing are largely uh, semi-professional players. There's a couple of who I think might be on the edge of Super Rugby squads, but not full-time. Most of them are um, you know, in, in provincial squads, which means they'll be playing club rugby at the moment. Um, so, you know, uh, 30 might be a little bit light. I, I would have thought it will blow out to 40, if not 50-point margin. Um, and, and, and it'll be a, it's a good way for the Lions to start it's an opportunity for them to get some you know they'll, they'll, they'll get there'll, there'll be a few surprises on the field they'll get pretty physical opposition but they won't be good enough to really trouble the Lions in any way so it's a, it, it's a good start for the Lions to get some early patterns established and get a wee bit of confidence under the belts Grand um, Gregor thanks very much for your time uh, that was fantastic that was Gregor Paul from the New Zealand Herald up next, we chat about Scarlett's playing style, the new Irish captain and player retention in the Irish system. Now when the cups are decided, you have fine weather, but that's probably a two-month period. You have to do the hard yards. Hey, that's the name of the show. Excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're <laughs> going to use that now. <laughs> I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get that in. The hard yards. The hard yards. On Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. And we're back on the Hard Yards. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone. Now, why isn't Roger with us this week? He's in Carton House. Um, Kev, he looks like a very happy man out there, doesn't he? Yeah, I saw a couple of pics of him, like uh, chatting to Joe. Uh, He seems like he's just on cloud nine. And I just think he's so happy to be able to put on Irish gear again. Um, (laughs) A load of free and right stuff. Now, right now, he's sitting in his room in Carton House in his IRFU pyjamas, um, his onesie. And uh, I think he's just so thrilled with himself, he, he couldn't come in today, which which is uh, pretty interesting. But nah, delighted for him to be back in Irish camp. I'd say he's really enjoying it, getting back in that mix. And I'd say it's a weird feeling for him going back to Carton House. As a, We'll get it from the horse's mouth next week, I'd imagine. But going back as a, a coach rather than a player. Yeah, he's sitting in the general's uh, the general's quarters this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think him and Joe will buzz off each other. To be honest, I think he's good in that he'll come in and challenge things. He'll bring new yeah. ideas from France, and uh, I'd imagine he'll be able to exercise a lot of the frustrations he's picked up while coaching a French team with Ireland. I think he'd be delighted to be back working with the guys here. Do you think there'll be a different sense of, I suppose, pride? You know, has he always had a pride in being involved with Ireland as opposed to you know, not to denigrate um, his professionalism of Racing Metro, but it's a different or Racing ninety two, it, it's a different thing. There's no doubt about it. Like he I think on this podcast alone has talked mentioned the word pride in the shirt in Munster in Ireland like several times and I think him co- coming back to Ireland camp it'll mean a huge amount more. And I you're right, he'd be very, very professional in a Racing ninety two scenario, but like this is a different ball game for him and I would imagine what he wants for the future of his coaching career is to come back to Ireland and and get more and more heavily involved with the Irish setup, which would be great for everyone involved. Now, one bit of news this week from Ireland Camp was the announcement, the delayed announcement of a captain for the tour to the US, three test tour to US and to Japan, two tests in Japan. Reese Ruddock, good friend of yours. Um, you'd said before you reckon he'd be uh, one of the, on the short list for captaincy. Yeah. No, I'm delighted for the man-child. Um, he is he's one of my best mates from Leinster. One of the best guys you'll come across. Uh, an absolute horse of a man. And, uh, you know, for him, he was fourth or fifth choice for Leinster two months ago and then 
there was a couple of injuries got to start against Claremont in the semi-final way it was Leinster's best player um, and has continued that form just throughout the end of the season and that was when Leinster were struggling he was one of the guys that really stood up and I remember Luke Fitzgerald actually tweeted during that Claremont game he said um, I think it was 15 minutes in Leinster on the ropes and Luke he said we need a leader to stand up here I think it's going to be Reese." and in the next 30 minutes Reese stood up and, and helped Leinster get back into the game and I think that just says a lot about him that when the going gets tough he shows his leadership skills it's easy for anyone to be a leader when you're pumping a team by 30 points and everyone can look like the hero but when you're in 25 degrees sunshine in France in a 40,000 seater and the Claremont fans are going berserk that's when leaders step up and I was really impressed by him that day and I think he'll bring that to an Irish tour that's going to be difficult I was on the Irish tour to the USA in 2013 where we we won uh, beat the USA by a last minute kick <laughs> it's going to be a tough challenge missing a lot of the leadership figures there so having someone like him to grab it by the neck and actually just uh, and bring this kind of exciting tour to, to a successful conclusion um, I think is a great opportunity for him and I think he's the right man for the job hmm. Now we said that Roger had a happy big happy smile on his face in the photos we seen from Carton um, he mightn't have been as happy about the Pro 12 final uh, Munster were mullered um, yeah. 3-0 up early 29-3 after half an hour and it it, <laughs> it didn't get better yeah, Munster were very disappointing. They were very one-dimensional. Uh, but like most worrying for me was just how they lacked that kind of physicality and edge. Uh, I expected them to try and just smother Scarlets, but they didn't really do anything and they didn't really fire a shot. Um, I think uh, they went into the game thinking that they could just out-muscle the Scarlets, but... I think the thing people are forgetting about is that everyone talking about the Scarlets playing this really expansive game and throwing the ball around and why don't Munster and why don't other teams play like this but they actually have an incredibly strong platform to play off and Scarlets have always played this type of flamboyant rugby of throwing the ball around but they've never had the platform to, to enable them to do to do that now they've built a really strong set piece they probably have the best rook in the competition with guys like James Davies and John Parkley and they have a really strong defensive setup. so Wayne Pivak, their new coach, has come in and he's, he's concentrating on the platform side of things. And now that they have the platform, they can go and play. And it's incredibly effective and incredibly hard to play against. And I know Leinster and Munster were far from at their best, but it's actually extremely hard to play against. The really good thing for the Pro 12 League now is you look at the last three winners, Glasgow, then Connacht, then Scarlets, all played this type of rugby and this mm. brand of rugby which is great news for, for Pro 12 supporters because everyone's looking at that now going we've got to play expansive if we're going to win the competition um, Connacht went at it last year they, they had a policy of no kicking they, they only mm. kicked the ball when they're on, in their own 22 that, even direct, but even in their 22 they had an exit strategy even on wet days of trusting themselves and just using hands 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 and that's something which I you know I talked to um, Easton Atewa about in a chat one time and he said no nah, Lamb was always like that even back in the Auckland days saying like what do you want to do and he would trust the players to back themselves now when he arrived at Connacht there's the story about giving every player rugby ball and all that because you can back yourself but you need the skill level to back that confidence up as well I think what we see in Scarlet's is the confidence to go from deep to recognise mismatches even if you're in your own 22 you know which which takes a couple of things to happen you need mm. the players who have the vision to it, it shouldn't be a conscious thing they should know when there's two props in front of them not, yeah. it's not just two opposition jerseys and we can go for this and then the second thing is the skill to, book, to, to pull it off yeah. but 
so Pivac, he he was talking after the game and saying that you know uh, Wales why can't Wales play like this you know well that wasn't a direct quote but that's the message mm. paraphrased um, but he did say our players love playing that style of rugby you know when you were playing would, would that have suited your game would you have liked to play that kind of helter-skelter game with ball in hand um, the way the Scarlets play today probably wouldn't have suited me to be perfectly honest and type of player I am but I was lucky in that Joe came in and he plays an incredibly structured game um, uh, and he would you go into a game knowing exactly what was required from each position uh, and, a, and a high level of detail to ena- enable success um, it was more structured than the way the Scarlets play but I think the great coaches lever- leverage the skill sets they have at their disposal so what they do is they set up their team in such a way that the best players um, can be used and utilised and that the maybe positions where they're not as average that they can minimise any any weaknesses or any risks there and I think like the fact is the Scarlets have always had those guys like Liam Williams John Davies the Scott Williams um, and now like Stefan Evans like really dangerous guys so what he, what Wayne Pivak do, is doing is sitting down and going how can I leverage these guys these guys are going to be the guys that get, get us the tries and get us across the line against a team like Munster and Leinster mm. So what he's decided is he needs to build a really strong platform, a strong scrum, a strong line-out. Um, they need to have the best rook of the competition, which they've had. And based off that, they've got go-forward ball um, and they're able to get these guys in space. And when they get in space, they're incredibly hard to defend. Um, and Scarlets were scoring tries off set pieces. And they were set pieces they would have lost maybe last year or the year before. And that's the difference. Um, and I think uh, Wayne Pivak has been very, very smart in what he's done. And, and how he's got the best out of the Scarlet's team. And I think Joe was the same in Leinster and that he leveraged the skill sets he had to enable us to win European trophies. We were never going to have the best players in Europe. But what we were going to have is a game plan that enabled us to get squeeze every inch of talent out of our team. And I think that's what, what, what really talented coaches do. In in Ireland, like there was obviously a gap of the guts of a decade where there was no there was no sevens program, for example. I mean, are, are we do we have the kind of players who can attack from deep like that to recognise space quickly and get the ball into that space? You know, because there's a number of things need to happen. Like we talked before, if you if you look 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 some of the famous tries that Irish teams have scored. I mean the. Uh, that original that that Leinster side that really came to the fore with Cantapomi, the Hickey, the Horgan, O'Driscoll. Part of some of the great tries they scored in those games was the ability of someone like Cantapomi to look up and recognise that something was on, and that the risk of doing it was actually you know other people wouldn't go from here. You'd, you'd go for a long touch kick. You'd go for uh, send it back down the middle. You gain territory and you regroup. But his ge- part of his genius was recognising that it's on and I've got the players here to do damage even if we're 10 yards off our own line. But without a sevens programme, without an emphasis on weather obviously is a thing, our season isn't ideally suited, but do we, ha- do we have the type of players, players with serious, serious gas? Yeah, we do. do like Connick showed it last year. They were scoring tries from all over the park. Like, yeah. And I actually... I think we have the right skill sets it's more about making sure that the coaches are putting the right things in place and like Leinster have played that rugby all season Yeah, when, when, they've, when they've clicked they've done really well even when it's yeah. quote unquote the the second team when the test players are away when they've clicked they've been hot Like yeah, they're all but impossible to play against when they click like that and Lancaster and Leo brought that into Leinster but 
like that was shown for 40 40 50 minutes against Claremont that they can click into gear like that um, and it's more about the way they coach rather than um, you know coaching to, to get the likes say Connick for getting the likes of Matt Healy in space and getting them in a position where they can be dangerous and, and counter attack but also give them the license to go and do it so when they catch a ball deep in their 22 they're not thinking shit I'm going to get in trouble if I carry the ball into contact here and get yeah. turned over he's thinking Pat wants me to go here I think that's have a, a go so that point's really important the <coughs> license thing because if you've got a system like this the you know anyone who's anyone who's bet or played poker and all that there's always a chance that you're going to lose the odds might be in your favour but there's times where it doesn't you know it doesn't come off so if you if you go for a touch you know it's an easier option but there's less reward but if you have license and your coach is going to back you and say no I want you to do that every time I know it didn't come off this time but I know in the long run we can do that but let's turn it around again Cup rugby can be different yeah it can you know, the mentality uh, yeah. can be different I, I think that's interesting the licensing because uh, I know say certainly with Joe like cer- certain players had the license and others didn't you had to earn <laughs> it's like doing a driving test like you had to earn the license did you, did you, like, for did instance, you have the license if did I you? caught the ball on the 22 I did not have the license to have a go it was, <laughs> it was pass it to Isa and support Isa and clean that rook out so like so who, who had the license <clears> in that team yeah it was, it was exactly you mentioned like Cedrico Dennis Luke um, Isa like Rob, the guys who could pull something out of nothing, like, yeah. um, uh, but like you got to earn that license, and you like it's a, it's exactly like you say, it's kind of risk reward, like so you got to take risk at the right time, and that's so the risk of Kev getting the ball on his own twenty two, throwing the sidestep, no, yeah, that's a five hundred to one shot, <laughs> yeah. Like, so, yeah, there's no point, there's no point going for that, like it doesn't make any sense, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's like. It's, it's empowering players to dry things but also being sensible about it as well because if you start doing ridiculous things you lose the game like it's a professional game but it's interesting what you're saying about the, the knockout rugby I think that's something particularly the Leinster team will take a long hard look at is no matter what you've done all season knockout rugby is different and I think they continue to play the way they've been playing but I know for a fact that in order to beat the Scarlets they need to dominate the set piece and the rook and they didn't and mm. I know Leo's probably looked at the the turnovers at the, at the breakdown that James Davies got a hundred times at this stage, and he's probably pulling his hair out because they're the kind of things that en- enable you to win cup games, and something that he would have led when he was captain of Leinster for many many is a knockout game is just squeeze the life out of the opposition. Let's yeah. maul it. Let's slow it down. Scarlets don't like the game slow. Let's maul the life out of them for fifteen minutes. Let's pick off a couple of penalties. Let's take the energy out. Of, yeah. Take the wind or, out or of just, the sails. Or just make stuff messy. Yeah, and like that's, that's not everywhere. pretty f- for the supporters, but it doesn't matter. The yeah. only thing that matters at the end of that game is getting the win. And it's got to be slightly lower risk in a cup final game. And that's why I have huge admiration for the likes of the Hurricanes. But um, like Gregor was saying there, like the New Zealand teams now have a really strong set piece as well. They're mm. not just throwing the ball around. Like you see in the Lions trying to go after them in the scrum and the line out, like it's not going to be that easy. So you've got to have a platform to build it upon and then you can start throwing the ball around. But in knockout rugby, you've got to be able to, to play play the percentages, well, there was slow a, things down and just squeeze and, and suffocate a team like the Scarlets. There was know? a famous example of that if we go back a couple of years now. The, um, the When Rob Penny arrived at Munster, there was obviously a significant change in style. It was quite lateral, lateral or expansive. It depends on which side of that coin, right? Um, but when they got into the pointy end of the Heineken Cup, they went to Harlequins. It was that famous game where it was old school Munster you had the shot of Paul O'Connell looking very Pauly 
you know, it was Superman stuff. Uh, a little bit of a reversion to type for a big cup game. Scarlets didn't do that. They went opposite. They went, no, it's kind of balls on the table stuff. It's like, this is how we win and we are going down yeah. the way we came. Well, that's smart though because that's what Munster needed to do against Saracens. I remember saying that after the, before the game is they need to throw caution in the wind and do something different because if they try and out-muscle Saracens they're going to lose and that's exactly what they tried to do. They stuck up on unders and they tried to take them on physically and one-off runners. Um, where Scarlets knew that like, if they tried to take on Munster and Lancer in a physical battle they'd lose so they ran it from their 22. They got the basics right and then they just had a go and mm. like that's what... Um, that's what that's what Munster should have done against Saris, I believe. And Saracens, I suppose, it was a bit of a shock that they were knocked out at the semi-final stage of the Premiership. They were knocked out in a scorcher by uh, Exeter. Exeter went on to win in extra time against Wasps. Cracking game. Uh, they had a couple of uh, ex-Irish system players in Gareth Steenson and Ian Whitten and Tyke Byrne, of course, played for Scarlets. What is the connection of all these? They're essentially lost in a way to the Irish system uh, we have another example of that this week with young Tyg McElroy uh, signing a contract for Saracens or, and reportedly rejecting an offer from Connacht stroke IRFU um, plucked from the under 20 squad as they were uh, as they were flying over for the Junior World Cup what do you make of this one? That's all that's going to happen there's four professional teams in Ireland and there simply isn't enough space for all the players we bring through so I, I actually I don't have a huge problem with it I think the RFU have made clear their stance to everyone so they've been really fair about it if you if you want to go abroad the chances are you won't play for your country again look mm-hmm. at Mar- Marty Moore look at Ian Madigan and that's a choice players are consciously making now and that's fair enough Sh- Schmidt has said it again this week as well he's been very explicit yeah. about it I like it. Like I think, I think it makes sense. I think they're clearing their stance, and it's up to them. Like that's the policy they've adopted, and I think it's a policy they need to adopt to make Irish rugby stronger. I think losing the likes of McElroy is obviously a loss, um, but I mean, like he's taking a major risk. Is he going into the abyss? Will we ever hear of him again? Who knows? But listen, it's up to him. I've heard he's a very talented player. He's going to give it a lash over there, but. Like in terms of Exeter and the Gareth Steens, and that's a great story. I uh, I played with Gareth and the Ireland Under-21s World Cup in Argentina. Um, he was a metronome back then. He's still a metronome. Doesn't miss a kick. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Sexton was actually on the bench for him in that particular tour, which which is obviously a big turn-off for the books. But like he made a call. He came back. Owen, or Ron O'Gara and, and Johnny Sexton were clearly holding the number 10 shirt for the next, I don't know, five, six years. So he made a call to go abroad, and it worked out extremely well for him. Um, in terms of Exeter I was in my early years in career, career in Leinster I wasn't really getting picked and I actually spoke to Rob Baxter and was very close to going over there they just, just got promoted and then in a turnaround that we ended up playing against them in the Heineken Cup in 2012 they were in our group yeah, they had a few Irish players as well I mean, not just the two you mentioned it was um, Tom Hayes, Hayes was there as well was in the second row yeah. and like we I hate to say it but we're maybe slightly complacent our supporters were definitely complacent I'll never forget that game in the RDS uh they came, we knew very little about them. Um, I know Joe would try to prepare us to let us know it wouldn't be an easy game, but they came to the RDS and we beat them 9-6 and I gave away a penalty in the last minute of the game and thank God Garrett Steenson was off the pitch and a guy Morellas missed the kick, just left, last play of the game to get a draw with us in the RDS. Um, and we got a taste for like how strong a team they are. And like when you look at the team that won the Premiership and the in, the teams they beat to win it in terms of the, the, the types of players they don't have that many world class players and they've taken someone like Ian Witten who was struggling to get in the Ulster setup, mm. 
and they've turned him into a star that has won the Premiership, which is phenomenal. Like, so they've and built something pretty special there. And won it in, in some style. I mean, in the second half of that season, they they rattled off. Was it seven or eight bonus point wins in a row? Yeah, they don't. They don't. That's always the way they play. They don't mess around. They throw the ball around. They score tries. And like they've guys like Thomas Waldron, who everyone thought was coming to the end of his career, and like he had thirty-seven carries at the weekend. 37 like I sometimes wouldn't have had that in three games like that is <laughs> it's actually phenomenal like yeah. he's an absolute workhorse and like that just just says how good Baxter uh, is as a coach that he can get guys like that turn them around and, and turn them into world class operators and to have Ian Witten going against Saris and going against Wasps and turning them over like it's it's, it's a great story I, I'm delighted for the likes of Stino and Ian Witten and then Tyke Byrne at the weekend I think like you made a couple of comments about saying that this wouldn't you know he never his career wouldn't have progressed at Leinster and like I mean that's fine the fact is when he was at Leinster he was in the academy while I was there he struggled with injuries he struggled with confidence um, uh, to be perfectly honest he struggled with maturity we looked at him and he wasn't the type of guy that was st- stepping up in training and behaving like a very very professional guy like some of the more mature academy guys was so he needed to go abroad and I think by going abroad it helped him grow up and turn into a more mature player and that's translated now into the way he's playing for Scarlets um, I'd say it was a particularly special day for him two days beating Leinster in the RDS and then beating Munster um, but you know th- that's what needs to happen sometimes players mm-hmm. need to go abroad to find themselves to mature um, and in his particular case it worked out really well um, so yeah delighted for him Right we'll leave that one there um, Up ahead we look ahead to the betting odds for the Lions Tour. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> Like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. We are back on the Hard Yards and we are joined by Haley O'Connor from Labrooks. Hi. Hello. Um, we're looking ahead to the betting odds for Saturday morning's Lions game against the New Zealand Provincial Barbarians and a bit of the rest of the tour. We've already discussed being a little bit worried, Kev, um, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, Haley, um, how does Ladbrook see a match like this? Well, in terms of the like match betting, it's kind of a non-event um, because even though the lads only arrived three days before the match, before their first uh, match of the tour, um, we still think they're 100 to 1 on to win this. It's like a second tier New Zealand team. And um, they actually only got together, I think, on Tuesday for the first time. Uh, so you can back the uh, Provincial Barbarians at 33 to 1. Um, the spread, we think, is about um, you could back uh, the Lions minus 30. Um, which sounds a bit mad but if you consider that the corresponding feature for this um, last time they um, were beaten by 51 points Mm. Um, and we think there's going to be about 70 points in the match that's what we're predicting Um, and if you think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of tries in the match which we do you can back over 9 tries at 5 to 6 over 12 at 13 to 8 so that's probably going to be more of a busy market than the match betting I suspect There is an interesting sideline to this one that Warren Gatland will be playing coaching aside 
get your words right. <laughs> Warren Gatlin is the coach. So he is coaching a team in which will be a player who happens to be his son. How's that? <laughs> he is. Bryn Gatlin is playing. <laughs> yeah, Bryn Gatlin's playing. He's a uh, 22-year-old. Usually I think he plays for the Auckland Blues, but um, he's he's playing out half in number 10. So we're going 10 to 1 that he scores uh, a try in this match at, at Not any a hope. time. No. Not, Not a hope. Not a hope he's scoring. No, I just think Warren, <laughs> Warren's going to put a target on his back now. <laughs> yeah, so like Warren, Warren will like that he'll be the best scoped out player anyway going into that game <laughs> but I, I like uh, I'm going to take Gregor's call here and go uh, Lions minus 30 yeah easy money I reckon yeah yeah. I mean it, it is it's a scratch side that they're facing you know I mean that's, yeah. that's not easy for them it's not as if it's a scratch side of top top level players either with, with respect to them Yeah. it's going to be a great occasion Lions step off it's the first game it's finally we're seeing some red jerseys as opposed to a lot of talk around jerseys and photo calls yeah. um, it will be a bit of fun uh, but we did talk before about the tour is a bit of a worry and we talked about the strength of the schedule that they're facing uh, if if it goes really badly Right, <laughs> and it's a whitewash for the Lions. Um, what is that mad to think about? What are the odds of that? Yeah, it is mad. It's five hundred to one, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like you could have two euros on it. It's better than buying an all cash or something. But um, actually, that reminds me, we did a charity bet years ago on uh, on the on the um, World Cup. And I gave charity bets away and I had like, uh, gave this, it was like for local football teams and I gave them 500 quid on Costa Rica at 500 to one. And do you remember they did really well to a certain stage? Anyway, so backing 500 to one shots, you know, sometimes um, in the blue moon. But uh, we are seeing a bit of action in that betting that um, obviously nobody thinks that they're they're going to be beaten in all their games or win all their games which is equal it was also 500 to 1 Um, but we are seeing money at 7 to 1 for them to win their 7 non-test matches Okay, 7 that's I'd be I'm, back I'm at against that. Yeah, I think I would I, you know you get the Maori Hurricanes if if we take if we take people at the word and they say yes we're going to release players we're going to target these games Seven to one to win all those games. It's not very generous, Haley. I'm not going to lie. Kevin's <laughs> not happy. I'd need. I'd probably need thirty to one to back that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. To, I'm I trying just to think like because of the turnaround between games and because there's going to be an injuries and because the likes of the Crusaders are going to be fully loaded. Like it's yeah. Kev is actually really upset here. What do you think our, the first match we're going to lose is then? Because we're it's nine to one that we're going to lose. Uh, I think they beat the Blues. I think Crusaders is going to be very very close game. Could go. I think that's like a maybe a fifty fifty shot. Mm. And so so something else I'm looking at here is that it's four to seven that the Lions win more than five games on tour. 13 to 10 that they win less so you're looking at it's that kind of over under I mean, that, that's an interesting one to, yeah, to think about yeah, like a lot of it's going to depend on what, what me and Gregor were talking about earlier is like how they bet in and how yeah. whether they keep their, their players healthy and stuff but it, it's going to be a very interesting tour New Zealand's still heavy favourites 5 to 1 on to win it yeah, our yeah our, our head of uh, rugby trading he's just not a mad fan of, of Warren Gatland like he said that um, even though they're there's an abundance of talent there. He's just worried about the coaching. You know, he thinks he's he doesn't organise the players as well as the likes of Joe Schmidt pointed out the number of uh, Welsh players on the team versus Scottish, even though this um, Scotland finished ahead of Wales and the Six Nations. Um, and 
also that some of the team, you know, barely know each other's names. They haven't um, they haven't been together a lot. I think the the ones who are starting on Saturday, they were the ones who made it to the training session in in Dublin and mm. d- weren't playing in final championships. Um, but yeah, we think we think uh, Lions are the underdogs for the entire series. Yeah, we continue our upbeat theme <laughs> looking ahead to the Lions Tour. Um, thank you, Haley. I would just note that next week um, we'll have Andrew Wildig, the Ladbrokes head of rugby trading, which might be an interesting little segment. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see what people want to ask yeah. somebody like that. He's a total nerd and I, <laughs> you won't mind me saying that. I think he like wakes up in the morning thinking of like rugby. He probably has like rugby balls on his duvet set and stuff. Rug- rugby nerds unite. I can, I can, I can back that. Okay, um, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you to uh, Kev and to Haley, uh, to Gregor Paul and to Joe Harrington for producing, to Shane Dempsey for looking after the sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.